Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, which has just been shortlisted for the Fortnum and Mason Best Podcast Award in 2022. I hope for digging just a little deeper into the minds behind the best of the food books. Each week I ask for four food moments from my guests, which help us explore the thinking behind their books. And this week I'm with Al and Kitty Tate, the dad and daughter team, for whom baking bread has literally changed their lives. Not I think really a lot of people go, oh, how it. did you decide yeah. to drop out of school? How did you decide to homeschool all of these things were just survival we were just surviving kitty was only 14 years old when crippling depression didn't just change her life but her family's too baking bread was just one of the many things they tried to get her back and it worked and some just three years later the orange bakery is already a thriving business run by kitty and her dad and their beautiful book bread song tells the story I began by asking Kitty what that darkness felt like. I mean, it's really interesting. It's something that I am constantly thinking about, but I'm not desperate to find the reason to. I know a lot about what it felt like, and I don't know why it happened. I know that for whatever reason, for the chemicals in my brain, for my genetic material, for the things that were around me, I just really really struggled with depression and anxiety and actually even now it's something that it doesn't just go away but I learned to live with and I have coping mechanisms that really really help me but back then I didn't and I didn't even know what was wrong with me so it was like this brain fog and I just remember just not wanting to get up in the morning not wanting to get have a shower get dressed eat anything I just didn't want to function anymore and I couldn't see why I would um and yeah it sounds like pointlessness you know you're not the first person to talk about this kind of feeling that lack of point to life it did is that what it felt like it was it was very much it's a nice way of putting it it was this pointlessness and I couldn't work out why that was because I, I enjoyed school. I wasn't being bullied. So many people jumped to conclusions like social media and, oh, it's so hard for young people these days. And it is. But for me, I had a really lovely childhood, a really lovely life. And this was just completely out of the blue. Yeah. And you do have the most magnificent family. Al, it turned your whole family upside down. You responded by, by supporting her. I mean, in a major, major way. But what did the family do, first of all, when this, when Kitty, you know, withdrew? It must have been terribly frightening for you. Presumably none of you really knew what to do. No, no, uh, absolutely. Um, idea is, it's, it's, again, it's a very, very good question. I think, uh, I think we probably chose not chose but we we you know families are busy complicated messy organisms and there's a lot going on at any given time and there was a lot going on at that particular moment in time with uh kiddies older siblings both doing sort of exams uh and so we probably missed some of the obvious warning signs that were there and then when things did happen um it's it, it's just like being spun around very very fast uh, and asked to walk in a straight line. You know you you uh, you know what you're meant to do, but you really struggle to work out which way you are actually moving and is it the right way. So but it was very it was very hard for you guys because 
I loved acting and I would always do school plays and I was very good at acting this smiley, easy, youngest kid who could just fit in very easily. And so then when everything did break, when I did just become too exhausted and it was literally overnight, I went from one day bouncing down the stairs and even though, yes, I felt numb and empty inside, I could at least smile and I could at least function and I could at least take care of myself and look normal to the next day where I just couldn't get out of bed. Mm. So for you guys, it was overnight. Yeah, it was only three years ago. I mean, it is remarkable how quickly this has happened. Al, you tried all sorts of things. You tried crafts, you tried sewing, you tried puppies, you tried everything. You gave up your job to be with Kitty and to try and to, to take her out of school, which is a, a brave thing for a lot of families. It's, it certainly worked for you. But, but, you know, your whole life also turned upside down. You had a very successful job as a, as a teacher. You were working at Oxford with the dyslexic students. I mean, how much did it take for a father to, well, one of you had to, 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 to give everything up in order to school your daughter? Um, well, it wasn't, it, it simply wasn't an option. I know it sounds um, uh, very basic as a sort of response, but um, there was no way that Kitty could go to school. Absolutely no way that she could sort of function. She was just about functioning in in the sort of safest of safe home environments. Uh, and... Um, and we couldn't, we weren't going to outsource this. It wasn't something that's, that's not how we function. Um, and I don't really think actually it was an option. Uh, so it just, it had to happen. So in a way, and an awful lot of the momentum behind the first sort of few years, really, of this story, it has been about just doing because we had to or doing yeah. because we could. Not I think really a lot of people go, oh, how it. did you decide yeah. to drop out of school? How did you decide to homeschool? All of these things were just survival. We were just surviving. We were getting through the day. And when it wasn't possible for me to go to school and it wasn't possible financially and for so many reasons to get else to get help, basically, mm. it we had you had to stay at home. And yeah. for so many reasons that, dad was a stay-at-home dad when we were growing up so you were used to that mm. we just did we just survived and it's the bakery again how did you when did you decide to open a bakery when did you decide to do all this stuff it, it was just surviving we were baking more than we could eat so we gave it away and then the more we gave away the more it grew and the, the bakery came out of just another of those moments al you made some bread one night and you you'd made bread before it's not like kitty hadn't seen you make bread it wasn't particularly good bread that you'd made before kitty can you talk about what it felt like to take that top off the no need bread that your dad had made the night before and see something quite moving i mean at first i was definitely definitely making fun of dad because he was so determined while mixing this flour, water, salt and yeast. And it just looked like wet concrete. It just looked really sloppy and really unappetising. And I just could not see how he was going to make this into something edible. But you scooped it out the next morning and you put it into a baking tin and you put it in the oven. 
And again, I was, I was still really like making fun of him, like, oh God, here it comes. And then he lifted the lid and what was this anemic, gloopy dough was suddenly this golden, crusty loaf and the smell, everything just made me feel safe. And I hadn't felt safe for a really, really long time. You write, when he lifted the lid, there was this beautiful, crackling, singing loaf that made the hairs on the back of my neck shoot up. Just reading it again, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck shoot up. It was a moment. It was alchemy, wasn't it? And you also say it was like the girl who could spin straw into gold. You know, all those wonderful children's stories that I know that you were read and had read as a child had all kind of come into this moment. Alchemy, turning something into something else. That's what you needed in your life, even though you probably didn't even know that at that time. And it was happening right in front of you. It sped you onto the most incredible story and energised you, didn't it? I mean, you know, both the wonderful thing about your book is that you write half of it and your dad writes the other and your dad is watching this suddenly supercharged, turbo-driven daughter who, you know, only a couple of months ago couldn't even get out of bed. What happened? What was that alchemy for you? Well, it was like you were saying at the beginning, I just couldn't see the point of anything. And when you can't see the point of anything everything just feels so dark I mean I remember waking up and there was so much color in spring but everything my whole world just seemed gray and what bread did is it just brought back the color suddenly I had purpose suddenly there was a point to my day if that was to wake up to bake the bread or to be there in the evening to mix it for the next day I had a point and I had a purpose and when you don't have anything then suddenly you have this really simple and pure purpose it is amazing. It is energising. And not only was I able to make something, I was able to make something which I could give back to people and they would love it. And that purpose, purpose that came from that too, was just extraordinary. Well, that's extraordinary. And so, yeah, from your first food moment, from that first discovering the overnight white, the first ever loaf and that moment of where you recognise what alchemy can do for you, to the subscriptions, take us through that. So what? how did you get the bread to your neighbours in this lovely, I mean, again, it's like something out of a little children's story, your village, Watlington near Oxford. Where, um, well, we'll talk about your neighbours in a minute, but, but how did you get your bread to the neighbours? So at this point, dad had actually gone back to work and was working at Oxford. So often he would then go early in the morning. So I wouldn't have a car or anything like that. I had an old bike and it had very bad brakes, but I had a basket on the back of it. And we baked the bread in the morning and then I put it into brown paper bags, which we had stamped with half a potato orange print. And I would drop it around the neighbour's door so it would be fresh and warm on their doorstep. It's lovely. It's very beautiful. But it's let's not forget that that was a big leap for you, wasn't it? Because part of your depression meant that you literally couldn't go out of the house. You wouldn't be able to talk to people. You wouldn't be able to engage with people. And the bread was giving you a connection with people. It was a mask. It meant that I could wear this mask. And even if I went out, I wasn't thinking about who was looking at me or what was happening or how far away I was from home. I had a purpose to get this loaf to the next doorstep and I was giving them something. I was giving people a present and actually I could hide behind that and that made me feel safe. That's so interesting, isn't it? The second food moment 
presumably took you even further into that area of safety, the comfort loaf, your first invention. This is where the alchemy becomes part of your process. You're owning something. Tell us about your comfort loaf. So the comfort loaf is a really simple bread, but it's made with Marmite. So at the very beginning, we had a tablespoon of Marmite to the water. And it is alchemy. It does something to the bread that when you bake it, it doesn't matter if you're not a Marmite fan. It doesn't taste like Marmite on toast. It's something completely different. So the crust just oh, is this amazing umami and it tastes like twiglets. And the crumb isn't just soft, it's pillowy. It's so incredibly moist. I can't believe I just said that word, but it is. It's very, very moist. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's an incredible bread. And for me, it was the first time where I thought, okay, see, I'm not just following a recipe here. This is my recipe. This is something that I have created and owned. And the smell of it, even to this day, if mm. I ever bake it, it's not just like the smell of freshly baked bread. It doesn't fill a room. It fills a street. You can smell it wherever you are. And it's just this gorgeous umami. But I so remember <clears throat> it coming back from wet, miserable walks, because all walks were wet and miserable yeah. when you're growing up, and, uh, and having doughy crumpets. Uh, and nothing tasted better than those warm crumpets when you were feeling cold and wet and miserable. And, and the comfort loaf does a similar thing, doesn't mm. it? It gives you this tremendous sense of... Comfort. comfort. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the so name. Brilliantly named. Where was the brain fog at this time? You talked about the total brain fog uh, earlier. Then the kind of the, the mask was helping you feel better. With that kind of sense of ownership, where was the fog? It's a really good question because I think a lot of the time it's very easy to just say bread saved me. That's it. Bread cured my depression. And the thing is, there is no cure to depression. It's not something that you can just shrug off, that you can fix, that you can take medicine for and it just disappears. It's something that I still live with, a brain fog, and I still live with today. But you just, you know how to clear it and you have your mechanisms and you just understand and accept it's there. And sometimes it can almost turn into a superpower. Um, but at this point, I was able to leave the house and that was really helping. And even though it was still really hard to get up, I was getting up because I had this purpose and I had to bake the bread. And I would get these moments in a day more and more where it would clear a little and I would see a bit of sun and I could see the colours in spring. I could see the yellows and I could see the greens and even laugh or smile or all those tiny things which I thought I had completely lost started to come back and not all at once and normally in little waves, but they were there and I noticed them. One of the things that really grabbed me was the, the going to Paris. You know, you'd become really into bread by now. You'd read every book on bread. You'd made friends with Instagrammers as well. People were really engaging with your story. You wanted to go to Paris, but it meant going on the Eurostar. And Al, you write about watching Kitty deal. You could, you could hear her breathing. You're so attuned as her father. You could f hear the difference in her breathing when she was on the train. How did it feel taking her away from everything that she knew into something that was so completely alien? Um, very scary. <laughs> very scary because uh, that the sort of comfort and security and safety, all these words that we sort of have been using were, were they're the bottom layer, basically, of, of being able to function. 
Uh, it's the whole sort of Maslow's pyramid uh, foundation. And um, and going away, travelling for sort of three hours when she'd only really sort of be able to manage maybe an hour at the most uh, in a sort of small space, uh, going to a foreign place and um, setting off really early in the morning and not knowing that we, we had a, a, a train back really late in the evening. I, yeah, I, I was, um, expectations were very low. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was amazing. We, we had a, a brilliant time and, um, yeah, and, and visited some sort of fantastic bakeries, mm. one of which Katie's gone back to. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. To go and was, work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it was actually the kindness of strangers that that Paris trip was all about for you, wasn't it? It was about, you know, just immersing yourself in boulangerie. But tell us about what happened with Jess at, is it at Ten Bells. Yeah, it was Jess. So that was amazing. We, we, ha- we went to Paris and it was incredibly nerve-wracking and it was incredibly stressful. But with things like depression and anxiety, for me, it was just about building up a history and if I could do it once, then I could do it again and it might be easier. And I knew that I just had to make this first step to build up that history and to do more. So at the end of a very long day, and we'd done at least seven bakeries, we were quite full. I mean, we have an amazing ability to eat carbs, mm. both of us. So it is our superpower. It is our superpower, <laughs> 100%. Um, and we walked in. And most of the time we were just babbling away. We did a lot of thumbs up or thumbs down to people in French to try and like get across our language. <laughs> that was our communication method. And it was just this amazing feeling when walking in that you just feel at home. And we just felt really at home there. And um, we couldn't really work out why. And we saw there were these stacks of English bread books on the table. Um, so it was quite surreal seeing Mary Berry and... Paul Hollywood in Paris <laughs> um, and we went to the counter and there are these like astonishing looking dark crusted loaves the loaves that you see on the cover of Tartine which is my favourite red book um, and completely different to what you see in normal prison bakeries where it's very almost anemic they're very very golden and they're very light this was this really heavy dark crusted loaves and we got to the counter and Dad started to do a very primitive French loop. <laughs> Mine's even worse, so don't worry. And he turned around and this very sweet girl turned around and instead of talking back to us in a slightly better English, French English, she was from, where was she from? She's from Manchester. Pure from Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. Turned around and she was from pure Manchester. <laughs> and Dad, you tell the story where well, I Yeah, no, because we've been sort of basically sort of saying, Kitty have been wondering, do you reckon I could go behind and just see how they do it? And I, I'd be thinking, well, God, that's, that's you know, my, my French goes about to the extent of a baguette. So I was trying to think, how, how do I ask to see if my... 15-year-old daughter could actually go behind the counter to go and see how the bread is made and everything else. And uh, and then Jess, this sort of girl, just sort of said, oh, you know, she can go. I'll see what I can sort out. I'm sure they'll let her. Uh, and suddenly, for a moment, I did think, actually, I could understand French yeah. before I then realised she was <laughs> she was talking in Mancunian. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. You know, she you were whisked behind for sort of half an hour to go and see exactly how yeah. everything worked. And that, you talked about that kindness of strangers. You know, that's been what has punctuated our story all the way through, has been just these little and sometimes big 
acts of um, kindness and empathy. Well, a lot of the time, it's a very small act of mm. kindness to the person or to the baker, but to us, it just feels enormous because if it is inviting us round to see, for yeah. them, it's just yeah. half an hour talking to a very nerdy, geeky, bred teenager. Um, but to me, that then shapes the next couple months. That shapes years. That shapes my life slightly. Mm. Yeah. There were two things that I kind of noticed about that one was that it gave you a vision um i love the vision of you living with jess and riding around paris on a vespa um that's one fantasy maybe but it's good to have a vision isn't it that gives a sort of a a future to somebody who's suffering from the now it's really wonderful to have a sense of the future isn't it and it is that it's that future you i didn't realize it and i still i still have to be really aware of it but with depression it isn't this like fog straight away it can be tiny little signs and I still am really aware of it now if I stop thinking about the future if I stop having these little dreams and fantasies you might be fine but that is it's a little hint it's a little inkling it's a little yeah there's a the light comes in yeah the other thing that it I've noticed and I've spoken to I've interviewed a lot of bakers and they all seem to be people who for some reason have kind of jettisoned the kind of the the world outside they are people who like to work with their hands they are people who are very present and I imagine that your story or even just a young girl so fascinated with bread they don't need to know your story it can it's a connection isn't it it's it's about something that's very real compared with so much of the nonsense of the consumer world and I'm wondering if if you noticed did you ever did anybody ever say anything like that to you did you was that a reality it's really interesting when you say it's very present that's exactly what it is as a a lifestyle lifestyle but as a (laughs) a, you know as something that you do it is it's very, very hands-on. It's very artisan. It's very... 90% of it is very, very mundane. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of repetition and it's quite hard work. Uh, and then you get this 10% of magic, sort of 5% either side, 5% when you're you're thinking up a new idea and 5% when you're seeing someone eat uh, that idea. Uh, and um, it is... I think it's extraordinary, actually, as, a, as a way of sort yeah. of operating... Uh, because you do have to live in the moment because you that's 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 where 90 percent of 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 the the process fits i don't mm. know what you feel no it is it's it's an amazing career actually because no matter what if you know how to bake and especially if you know how to bake bread you will never be homeless and you'll never be hungry because you can go anywhere in the world and there will be bread and there will be a need for bread and there'll be therefore a need for a baker. And that is this amazing, very unifying... Universality. Yeah, universality. Well, it's funny you should use the word universe there. I was just about to say that... um, Carolyn Steele said something to me when I interviewed her about her book, Cytopia, which you must read. It's absolutely wonderful. It's about how we lost our, our connection with food, but how uh, her vision of how we could find it again. And she ends the, the book by talking about the mundane. And she says that she looked at the etymology of, of the word mundane and it is mundos, the world, the universe. It's everything. And it's what's right under our nose. 
And the fact that we have dismissed the mundane kind of sums up everything about where we've gone wrong. I thought that was really very beautiful. And I always think about that when I'm thinking about, you know, just kneading or just putting your hands in dough. Let's go on to your third food moment. Grass pesto, one of the many disasters, but it also connected you with the local ingredients. What I love about this is it tells, you know, you you tell a lot about this wonderful little village, Watlington, which, as I said, feels to me like some children's storybook. But outside of Watlington is Oxford and the Cowley Road, where there's a lot of immigrant food. And so you've got a lot of people bringing the feels and the smells from home. You've got miso and kimchi and all sorts of wonderful things haven't you and chilies and well you start kind of looking at how to put these into your baking I mean it expands your repertoire massively and Kitty you suddenly start being a superior cook but it also kind of connects you with your own ingredients things that you've grown yourselves and that your neighbours have grown and people start giving you ingredients I love this story. It's It kind of comes full circle. It's about really rooting and grounding. Yeah, I mean, it's what makes me so excited about bread. So many bakers, it's different for everyone. So many bakers, it's about the flour and being very puritanical about the ingredients and simple for others. It's about being able to make as much as you can, to feed as many as you can. For me, it's a mixture of everything. But a big one is to just really explore the world of flavour through the platform of bread and being able to go to Cali Road and just explore and learn about so many cultures but through something so simple as bread and flavour and food. Um, And the wild garlic pesto came from not only outsourcing to, like you said, Cali Road, but also looking around when we were on our dog walks and talking about what we wanted to bake that week, actually looking around us and saying, OK, so while garlic season is coming up, why don't we use something with that? And we still do now. Like We get really excited. Mm. We're very aware of the seasons and we never were. And the pesto came about because basically, uh, I mean, we said it's one of our many failures. One of the things, <laughs> the brilliant things about baking is that you... Uh, particularly when you're baking a lot, is you get to fail a lot. A lot. Uh, and we are, we have, we have, we have failed big time. Uh, and still do. But each time you come away with a little lesson. And the pesto, we, we knew about wild garlic, um, being something that could make fantastic pesto. And someone had told us where to find it. We just had no idea what it looked like. Uh, <laughs> and so, we found And a we patch. were so excited. Yeah. I remember us trying and be like, oh, yes, yeah, definitely garlic. They, 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 this person had told us almost in sort of you know uh Hush. whispered hushed tones you know where this little patch was because you know you don't want to reveal your source and uh, and so she told <laughs> us where where it was and we got to the place and we convinced ourselves that we could smell garlic <laughs> at this place and uh, convinced ourselves that this this lush green stalks were, was was wild garlic so we filled our baskets full of it came back uh, made up a beautiful pesto Beautiful green, amazing, amazing. green, bright green. So and then uh, and then we we uh, tasted it and it was um, it was grass grass pesto, absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Always good to find the uh, the disasters, as you say, because you can only learn from them. You know the the way that you're connecting with the land is is also through the gifts of your neighbours, Susan Fotherby's rhubarb from her garden. 
Joe opposite brought rosemary for your focaccia. Paul gave you a selection of his pears. Somebody else gave you hot chilies. Somebody else decided also to start selling their duck eggs and their honey and their walnuts. So you're opening up this world of hobbyists and bringing them into the orange bakery and getting people to see what's under their nose. Again, this mundane you're bringing out in a, in a very magical way. Did it feel like that? Yeah. 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 A lot of it was, is why we loved writing the book, actually, because at the time, we didn't realise it. We didn't have that time to reflect, so we were doing what excited us, but we weren't thinking about how it was going full circle, how we were really immersed in the community we just thought oh great rhubarb and now looking back we were able to really take pride in that actually Mm. to go wow that was that was really cool and that is really cool and that we continue to do it i think it's it's this extraordinary moment as well of just realizing where you fit in or that you do fit in to a sort of web of of connections and uh relationships and and some of those are based on friendship with our neighbors some of them are based on the fact that you know we 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 have other shopkeepers in the town and we use their products, uh, or even just recently uh, we the one restaurant that we supply is this lovely restaurant in nearby town and they've just had a a review uh, in the paper uh, in in the Guardian for their restaurant and uh, which has been brilliant and we love the fact that we are a tiny part of of their success. You yeah, know, it gives us a extraordinary sense of privilege to be mm. involved in their much more impressive story um but you know it's it's this this web of connections that makes you feel uh, grounded part yeah part yeah. of something and grounded but it also makes you feel excited and instagram has been a fantastic way of opening you up and connecting you and being able to tell your story again that wonderful ability to to reflect i mean you mainly post pictures of wonderful bakery products but you know people were really kind of getting your story and when you launched a kickstarter i mean al you you felt terrified at that point didn't you a kickstarter to set up your own bakery oh my god am i gonna be horrified, an actual horrified baker? as much as terrified yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> it was a it was an idea that was probably another six to seven years down the line in my head. <laughs> but not for Kitty. No, well, six or seven minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Supercharged uh, Kitty with suddenly a huge sense of purpose. The result of the Kickstarter was phenomenal, wasn't it? You raised the money and some, and you realised how validated you were by all sorts of people, from your neighbours to pop stars like Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Yeah. And the Orange Bakery was born. Kitty, you write, the bakery soothed my brain and made me feel safe. I knew what I was doing there and my anxiety never roared away. It was just a really happy place. It's not the end of your story by any means. Could you have envisioned that in any way when you first started baking bread? No, at all. I still have slight imposter syndrome now. And on a Saturday and we bake everything and I can see this line of people queuing to buy the things that we have baked. And a little part of me just goes, really? Do they, do they know I'm not, I'm not a trained baker? Do they know that we are just doing this mm. all off the hoof slightly? But it is, it is a dream and it's more than a dream because we have worked really, really hard mm. for it and we still do. I mean, we love the baking side and that's what we show on Instagram. 
but we don't show the cleaning or the ordering or the endless paperwork. Well, the book is just about to come out as as we're talking to each other and the press have already come running. Your fourth food moment is about one of those extraordinary results of the press coming running. A Danish journalist got in touch with you um, about, after his girlfriend had seen the Orange Bakery in, Instagram and he put something out on Danish radio and a little boy called Nicholas invited you to come over to Denmark to see how his granny Ulla made her bread. This is a lovely story. You and your dad went to Denmark and met Granny Ulla. So Granny Ulla, she looked a little bit like Tinkerbell at like 70. She was this tiny little woman with white short cropped hair and she didn't know Absolutely any... Absolutely no English. No English yeah. and I knew no Danish. But we actually, we understood each other very, very well because all she had to do is plunge my hands into the dough and show me how she mixed it and then show me how long she would put it in the oven for and how long it needed to be proved. And all of it just made me realise that I could do this. I could I could travel, I could meet people. It doesn't matter if I don't know the language because bread is our language and I understand that. So it should have been a horrible horrible what not to do online catfish story of getting just this one anonymous message on instagram saying come and stay with me come to my house (laughs) come to my house in the danish suburbs um and we can bake bread together but it ended up in this really magical weekend and because i'd done paris i felt confident enough that i could leave home and go over the water and we did. And yeah. only when we came back did we realise how lucky and how amazing that we, like, the story was and how lucky and lovely that family had been to us. You make reference to this book that you used to read as a child, Come Over to My House, where a little boy with red hair goes into all houses of all shapes and sizes and he meets all sorts of children and he is out in the world. And it's just such it really struck me as such a wonderful image you know there's little kitty before the brain fog dreaming of traveling all over the world with your red hair and seeing all houses of all shapes and sizes and then you know the catastrophe happens and then through this brain fog you find your way to that exact story it just feels incredibly magical to me (laughs) did it to you yeah, it still it still does. All of this is, I mean, it's why writing the book, we enjoyed it so mm. much. was because we're able to look back and go, wow, that we have gone full circle and we continue to go full circle even now. So like talking about Paris and going there two, maybe even three years ago and then two weeks ago being able to go back to that same bakery, Ten Bells, and work there for a couple of weeks that was it's a really lovely full circle. And you do the same thing in, in Copenhagen. Yeah, and doing the same thing in Copenhagen. In Copenhagen, we went, we visited the family, which was so lovely, and we went to this one bakery called Heart, which was amazing. And then a couple of months ago, I went and I worked there for a couple months. And being able to do then everything going full circle is really lovely and is really unexpected. Mm. But we also, I'm incredibly appreciative of everyone from the Danish family, to the journalists, to the Australian Instagrammers who helped us crowdfund mm. everyone. Kitty, I've no doubt that you're going to be a baker for the rest of your life. Al, going back to teaching ever? 
Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's really interesting. I, I, you know, the, 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 the other side and much less uh, exciting side to the sort of story really has been the fact that I have, as a sort of middle-aged man, I've had this chance to completely reinvent where I'm going. So actually, I'm loving having the second chapter as as a baker. Um, and um, it's brilliant. And we're, we're, we're going to be starting some teaching. So that sort of brings the world together. Uh, I think what you don't realise is how much you do even now. Mm. I mean, we will have people from our local um, school, which is the one that I used to go to. And for whatever reason, they might be struggling in classes and we'll have them over for a day and we'll teach them. And then we're currently working on a pipeline dream of setting up a micro bakery in a prison. And you may not be teaching history or maths or English, mm. but you are constantly teaching. And you, it is a skill that yeah. you are amazing at. And, that and you equally, I think, I think the interesting thing for Kitty will be that I, th- I think you're right. I think she always will bake because it's the most amazing currency, as she said, to sort of have around the world. But um, I think there will be lots of skills that she is developing now, which may not um, take the form of baking in the sort of future that, that you know, will mm. lie ahead for, for her. And that, that'll be the really interesting thing, is to see uh, yeah, how she builds on that platform of, of skill and, uh, and technique and experience. Yeah. And where, where it takes it. Absolutely. It's a fantastic story of taking a left turn and just following where it goes. I'm convinced it's a feature film in the making. Um, has anybody approached you yet? So no. actually, no, I think we're allowed to. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we yeah. have got a film deal. <laughs> of course you have. There may be something <laughs> happening, but uh, I've got to make sure that, um, you know, that, that Stanley Tucci is free to play me. Uh <laughs> got to negotiate hard and yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so kitty kitty who would play you oh i think it'd have to be like an anonymous person like harry potter going to the schools Thanks for listening. You can now read the transcript of Cooking the Books by clicking on the link to podcasts on jillysmith.com. Please get in touch on social media. I'm at Cooking the Books with Jilly Smith on Instagram and at Jilly Smith on Twitter. And you can sign up for my newsletter at jillysmith.com. And I'll see you next week. Bye.